And if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in verse 13 and 14. And I'd like to ask, as you are finding Matthew chapter 7, are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? Are you familiar with him? You like him? Admire him? Or are you a person that is fully devoted to him? You know, if you're an admirer, and it's hard not to be an admirer of Jesus, you're going to be impressed. But if you are fully devoted to Jesus, why, you're going to find that you're willing to sacrifice. If you're an admirer, you're going to applaud what you see Jesus doing. But if you are one who is fully devoted to Christ, why, you are willing to surrender all of your life to him. And I want to just ask you that, because when Jesus preached this message, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it begins in chapter 5, verse 1, where Jesus' disciples are coming to him, and he begins to teach them. But it's not just his disciples, the crowds gather. In fact, that's how the sermon ends. You find literally at the very end here, Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, that when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. He was teaching as one who had authority, not as their scribes. But it's one thing to be a disciple, one who has aligned himself with Jesus and is following him, committing their way, their life to him, and another to be part of the crowd that's just amazed. You see, when Jesus spoke, certainly his disciples were latching on to all that he was saying. But there were those in the crowd that were just like electrified with what he had to say. Their heart would start to race. Their mind would start to click in and to realize, this is what I've been looking for my entire life. One who knows God, who is God, who's inviting me into relationship with himself, one who can provide forgiveness of sins. I desperately want to be emancipated from my fears and my struggles, all of the sexual temptations that just seem to bring ruin to my life. Here is one who gives me hope and peace. Here is one who has given me a way and direction. I will, I, I will gladly sacrifice anything to have him. For those few that responded in that way, Jesus wasn't just entertainment for the day or someone that gave him some rather awesome statements to kind of think about for just years to come. They went from being amazed to being fully devoted. And I would like to ask, are you a kingdom citizen? Are you fully devoted to Jesus or are you just familiar with him, maybe even a fan of him? Because that is what Jesus is addressing here. You are going to find that where you're headed in life is determined by how you are responding to Christ. And all I want to do in our few minutes together is ask you this question. Are you truly a fully devoted follower of Christ? You see, everything that Jesus has spoken of up to this point in the sermon is all coming to a head at these two verses where Jesus forces us to make a decision about him. It is all brought to application as to what we will do with Jesus Christ. For those who have yet to place their faith in him, this is a call to faith. For those who are disciples, those who truly know Christ, this is a call of discipleship and commitment.
And our response to Jesus and his word is going to be manifested in this life and most certainly in the life to come. Now, Jesus, as he's been going through this sermon, has been using a style that is actually very familiar to the Jews. In fact, it was quite popular in the first century. It was the, it was the teaching means of two ways. And what you would do, you see this in the Hebrew scriptures, two ways are presented. There's the way of righteousness, faith, love, godliness, wholeness, relationship with the living God. And that is contrasted in the way of wickedness, falsehood, deceit, deception, corruption. And Jesus has been teaching this way. In fact, let me just bring to your mind some of the different ways Jesus presented the two ways. For instance, remember he said there are two kinds of righteousness. There's an external righteousness, you know, and we're very familiar with this. You put on a show. You do, quote unquote, the right things because you want to be recognized and seen by others. But that was in contrast to internal righteousness, a righteousness that God gives by virtue of relationship with Christ, who is the perfect righteous one. Then there was the uh, two treasures. Remember that? There is earthly treasure and there's heavenly treasure. Where are you investing in? And then there were the two masters. Remember, Jesus said, you can't have two masters. You can only have one. So what's it going to be? Is it going to be wealth or mammon? Or is it going to be God? What he's doing is presenting the two paths. And then, of course, there were the two kingdoms. The kingdom of this world, its ways, its culture, its godlessness, or the way of God, his word, his way. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. It's an imperative. It's a command. You see the urgency to it. And when he talks about the gate, it's the gate is an entrance to a road. It's the entrance to a way of life. And Jesus says at the very beginning here, enter through the narrow gate. So which way are you going through life? Are you, like he's going to talk about in verse 13, traveling on the broad, ro- broad way that leads to destruction? Look what Jesus says, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. Jesus says, the gate of this world It's wide. It's so wide, it can accommodate anything you want. All baggage, all philosophies, all religions, whatever you want, it can accommodate. You want to just travel through with engaging all of your sin? Uh, You want to live as if there is no God? Guess what? There is a very wide gate that is very accommodating. It it is the broad way. If you want to be religious... Well, that's fine too. That works in the broad way. You could have Jesus on your own terms, kind of pick and choose which Bible verses. Like, I really like this about like God is love and, and God just loves me. And, and verses that, hmm, this idea of judgment, hell, sin. I don't even like the whole death bit. I, I, I'm just going to avoid that. You want to just pick and choose which Bible verses you like? I want you to know the broad way is so very accommodating to that. Of course that works. 
You want to just keep practicing your same old sins, keep going with the same associations? Why, you can do that. Uh, If you want to practice pluralism, which is so very prevalent in today's society, with the idea that, well, really, all religions give us some truth about God, and they all eventually lead to the same destination. For instance, you know, like the Buddhists, you know, they go the Buddhist way. There's some truth there, and we can hold on to that. The Muslims, why, they want to be faithful to Islam. And there's, there's good things. That's, that's worthy to be celebrated. You, you want to be a Christian? You want to kind of go the Christian way? That's fine. That's all, that's all accommodating. You just say you're a Christian. Maybe you have some church attendance. Uh, hold on to your family lineage. I want you to know the Broadway is so very open. It's easy. Um, and it seems as if there's safety in numbers, right? Everybody is kind of going on this path. Why, it's the current of the culture. It's the way of the world, and everybody's going on this. You can, you can fit in. You, it's politically correct. It's broad. It's accepting. It's, there's, there's nothing that says that there's right or wrong. You can make that way any way, right and wrong any way you want it, whenever you want it. You want situational ethics? Oh, that's fine. That works on the broad way. And you can, on the Broadway, on this wide gate, well, you can have it any way you want it, relationally, morally, sexually, ethically, spiritually. It's broad. It's wide open. It's the current of the culture. But notice what Jesus has to say. This all sounds so very appealing, right? I mean, this is around us everywhere. Jesus says, though, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. This word speaks of utter loss, total ruin, devastation, loss in this life, but eternal separation from God in the life to come. Utter destruction, ruin. And notice what Jesus says. There are many who enter through it. Let's be very clear on something. Sin never satisfies, does it? Because what happens with sin, sin looks alluring. Missing the mark, doing your own thing, living as if God doesn't exist, living in violation of his word, I want you to know that that's alluring and appealing. Your flesh clamors after that. And it looks as if you can find success and significant and sensual pleasures and enjoyment and security and freedom apart from God or doing it your own way. But Jesus says it leads to destruction. And doesn't that, isn't that what sin leads to? And far from freedom, sexual freedom, it leads to what? Slavery. You're in bondage. It leads to compromise, corruption, interior corrosion, and ultimately it leads to eternal separation and eternal death, separated from God. Which way are you going in this life? Are you traveling through the wide gate and on the Broadway that leads to destruction? Jesus says, many are. Most people are going down that path. But on the other hand, there is another way. It is trusting in Christ on the narrow way that leads to life. Look what Jesus says. For the gate is small, verse 14, and the way is narrow, that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Do you remember how Jesus began this? Verse 13, he says, enter 
through the narrow gate. He should know. He's the creator and author of life and faith. He's God. He knows the way that really leads to life, life as God intended it. And it's the narrow way. And so when he talks about a small gate, it is so small that only one individual at a time can squeeze through it. It's, it's like a turnstile. You know, like, it's just, it's just one. In fact, it's so tight. It's narrow. It's constricting. It's precise. Only one person at a time could come. And it is through faith in Christ and Christ alone. And when Jesus said this, this was shocking to most of the people that were listening to him. Because most of the Jews thought they were right with God and they were going to heaven and they were actually experiencing life on the group plan. By virtue of their nationality, that they were Hebrews, that they were of Jewish descendant, that they had Abraham, Abraham as their forefather, they thought, you know what? We are fine with God because after all, we are the chosen people. And when Jesus said, no, it's one at a time. You've got to go through the narrow gate. You've got to go through me. And now this was absolutely startling to them. And when he talks about this small gate and this narrow path, you see, the gate is an entrance to a path, a way of life. It's not free to do whatever you want to do. It's rather, I want to do what God wants. I want to be in his will. I want to walk in his way. He is not only the savior of my life, he's the Lord of my life. And I desire to follow him. He is the way. Remember what Jesus said? John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said in John chapter 10, I am the door. I am the only way. Do you really want life? Do you want forgiveness? Do you want real relationship with God? Because if you do, the way, why, it's, it's so narrow. In fact, the gate is so small It's Jesus Christ and him alone. How is it that Christ can offer himself as the small gate that leads to life? That's because he fulfilled all the law's demands. He lived a perfect life. He is truly human, fully God. He is the only one who could satisfy God's just wrath against sin. He, by virtue of his resurrection from the grave, offers life. He's the only way. Any other path, why it's the wide way, many people are on it, but it leads to destruction. Remember how the gospel was presented to the uh, first century people? Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Do you want to be rescued from this world, rescued from your sin, and rescued from yourself? Do you? If you do, there's only one way, and it's Jesus. Faith in Christ and Christ alone. It's really interesting. Do you know what the early Christians were called? They were called people that were on the way. They were referred to as the way. Some, we've, we've lost that. Because we don't actually consider like the fact that I'm on the way, I'm following Jesus. But that's what Jesus is driving at here. You come through a small gate, him, 
and you follow him, you trust him, you are on the way. But don't get me wrong, becoming a Christian isn't about being good. Rather, it's about God being good to us in Christ. And because he is so good and so gracious, he has been the payment for our sin. He died in our place. He fulfilled all righteousness. That is God's goodness to us. And what it leads to in our life is gratitude, humility, and following his way to be on his path. And if you go through the small gate, what does Jesus say? Enter through the gate, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. What is the result if you trust in Christ and Christ alone? It's life. It's life with God. It's referred to as eternal life. That speaks of both a never-ending life, but it also speaks of a quality of life. Life with God, life that is abundant, life in relationship with the one who made you. And one of the easy ways to remember the salient features of this life that we have in Christ is our mission statement. Our mission statement at Fellowship Bible Church is to glorify God by living out the life that we have in Christ. What is this life? Well, life is an acronym for loving God, investing in others, following his word, and engaging our world. This is life with God. Loving him from the heart to experience this love relationship, to be able to rest in him and to love him, to invest in others, to live your life with purpose, that you are not only a disciple of Jesus, but you're making disciples. You're involved in his kingdom purposes. You're following his word. We're not on our own way doing whatever we want. Actually, we're on his way. We're following his word. We give ourselves to his scripture and we are engaging our world. We recognize that our world is perishing. These are human souls. These are people that we love. We desperately want them to know Christ, to know truth, to know the love of God. We are engaging our world. We are living life on mission. We are experiencing life in Christ. I don't know if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan's like great work. I mean, every, every Christian needs to read this at least once in their life. And this is a story about Christian. And he is making his way through this world and it's got temptations and trials and, and all sorts of devastation and great dangers. And yet, Jesus is with him. The Holy Spirit. There are other saints that are making their way through this very difficult world. And despite all the toils and snares and dangers, you find at the very end that you're in the presence of God that all of that trouble and all of those trials and the heartache and depression and discouragement and disappointment, it was all worth it because you find that Jesus was always with you and he's brought you to his celestial home. We are with him forever. And so I want to just ask you, which way are you traveling in this life? Perhaps the greatest deception is self-deception. To think like, oh, you know what, fine with God, I've been to church, you know, in fact, it's interesting when you talk with people and you ask them, hey, are, are you a Christian? I, I just asked a guy at a hardware store this week, and, and this is so interesting. How do people usually respond to that? I go to this church, and he named a church. But that's, and what, what they're telling you is that, 
my affiliation by me saying this church or, I re- or this denomination, I'm a Methodist or I'm a Presbyterian or whatever, by saying that, they are putting all their hope and pinned on this institution or this church or this denomination. But in actuality, those things, that's not really what's at the heart of importance. The issue is, are you trusting in Christ? Have you entered through the narrow gate, the small gate, and are you on the narrow way of trusting Christ? You know, if you have not chosen to go through the small gate and you're not on the narrow way, you probably are on the Broadway, right? You're probably gone through the wide gate. In fact, you're still going through it right now. You're in the current of the culture. And what's, what did Jesus say? If that's you, you need to know you're headed for destruction. You know, it's the Broadway. I mean, it's so popular. There seems to be safety in numbers. I mean, everybody goes this way. This is PC. This is our culture. This is our country. This is how we live. What do you mean, narrow, Christ alone? Narrow way, following his word and his will. I want you to know, Frank Sinatra had a hit song, and it probably is the theme song of hell. I did it my way. Right? There's a lot of people they're humming that tune with their life. I'm doing this my way. If you are here and you're doing life your way, I got news for you. Jesus said you are on the broad way that leads to eternal destruction. He calls you right now, enter through the narrow gate. You know, some people have accused Jesus of being narrow-minded, And do you know when it came to salvation? Indeed, he is, right? There's only one way, and he's it. And the fact that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life, I'm the narrow gate, guess what? People don't like that. That is why Jesus is just fundamentally opposed by so many different people. Because Jesus said exclusively, I'm it. And all other religions, all other ways, all other philosophies, they don't yield real relationship with me. They don't really give you life in this life and the life to come because I'm it. Now, I want you to know that people think like, well, uh, just by virtue of the fact that uh, I'm in church, that, that ought to count for something, or I'm a good person. I want you to know that that's not how life works. That's not how life works with God. It's like, it's like math, you know? Math is one of the few disciplines where there's only one right answer, and there's billions of wrong answers. Now, I know that we're actually trying to reinvent math now, right? We, right? We've got, we have modern math where you can have kind of all sorts of approximate answers, and just because you tried, you ought to get credit for that, right? Okay, that's fantasy land. That doesn't work in the real world. You don't get the right answer. You know, things blow up. People die. You didn't get the right answer. It's not, well, I tried hard. It doesn't work. There's only one right answer. And when it comes to relationship with God, there's only one right response, responding to Jesus, going through the small gate. There's so many people that I think are believing in an approximate gospel. I believe in Jesus on my terms, my way. 
I kind of pick and choose, do what I want, show up at church whenever I feel like it. Um, I'll do life on my own. I want you to know that's an approximate gospel. But you've got to believe in Christ and Christ alone and give yourself fully to him. You know, if you're an admirer of Jesus, you're in the admirer category, let me tell you what this kind of looks like. You kind of believe like you can float in, and you can function in a variety of different circles. We could call it being a spiritual chameleon. You, what you do is you match your environment, right? You match the environment that you're in. So here you are in that church. You do some church language stuff, right? You know what to say. You know, you can do the church lingo thing. You pick it up. And if you're like, I'm not really sure. All you do is listen for a little bit. Like, oh, I know. And then you'll just say the same thing. And that works out well. And you're all religious. But then, you know, when you're at school or at work or you're out on a business trip, you chunk that, you match into the culture. Oh, we're talking like this now. I know the language. I can swear too. Corinne and I were at a restaurant. Uh, I took her out on Friday night. I, I could not believe this one guy, he only had about five words and two of them were severe swear words. He just couldn't help himself. You know what I'm saying? He just was just vulgar. And you know what? If you're kind of in the chameleon um, functioning, well, you just match that. Oh, we're doing this now. We're treating people this way. We're saying this. And you just match whatever environment you're on. You might actually think of yourself like, you know what? It's kind of cool. I'm above everybody. I, I float. You know what I'm saying? I want, well, I've got news for you. You are on the broad way that leads to destruction because Jesus said, I'm the narrow gate, narrow way. I'm, it's small. It's me and me alone. It's following me. You know, this text here, this just, this just blows the easy believism that is presented to so many out of the water. When you listen to how is the gospel presented today, who talks like this? Enter through the narrow gate. It's like super narrow, really small. All the other paths lead to destruction. Who talks like that? Who presents the gospel like that? Jesus does, right? If you want to know the gospel according to Jesus, this is it. And he says, enter through the narrow gate. And what you'll experience when you hear Jesus calling you, it's the magnetism of the Messiah. It is the energizing force of election. God is calling you to himself. And he, what he does, God who calls us to himself and he justifies us by faith, he also sanctifies. It's the whole package. It's not only the foreknowledge of God, but he calls you into believing and trusting in Christ and he is going to cause you to grow in holiness and he is going to give you this future, a glorious future. You have salvation, sanctification, glorification. It's all one because he is calling you to himself, but it's a narrow way. And when Jesus speaks of the narrow way, that word also has the idea of difficulty and challenge. Following Jesus isn't always going to be easy. I can assure you it's not always going to be popular, right? There are going to be challenges. It's going to be discouraging, depressing. We're talking there are real casualties out there. And you see loss and the pain and the hurt and the anguish of people living apart from God. You see hostility against Christ. And get ready, we're going to join the ranks of others who experience real persecution 
for following Jesus. It's a narrow way, but he's with us all the while. He's strengthening, encouraging. He's leading us through his spirit, and he's encouraging us with his word. And so I just want to ask, are you fully devoted to Jesus Christ? Or are you traveling on the Broadway? You're a fan. You like him and admire, and you're familiar with him. But you've got your limits. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'll have Jesus on my terms. Thank you very much. I, um, I'll pick and choose what it is that I will follow him on. Friends, that is the broad way that leads to destruction. I'd like to give you a picture of the difference between being familiar and a fan of Jesus and being fully devoted. And I'll like to do it by introducing you to a tightrope walker, okay? A funambulist, okay, to use you like a 19th century word. A guy who would walk on a thin rope at a high height, okay? And we're familiar with them. Um, the most famous tightrope walker of all time. His real name is Jean-Francois Gravelet. You know him as Monsieur Charles Blondin. And Charles Blondin, uh, a guy born in France, 1824, he only grew to be five feet, five inches. He had bright blue eyes and like this really blonde flowing hair, and hence that's how he got the nickname Blondin. Charles Blondin. Now, Charles Blondin was quite accomplished, but he wanted to do something that would just stagger the world, something that had never been done, the ultimate death-defying act, and that was to cross Niagara Falls, the 1,300 feet from the United States to Canada. And so in 1858, during the winter, he came. And uh, when he actually saw Niagara Falls and all of the ice and the snow and the wind that was just kind of whipping there, uh, he decided that we will need to wait for some better weather because, like, there's just no way. I mean, I'll just get blown off this thing here. We need to wait for some better weather, but he was determined to do it. And, he, and the talk was out there. In fact, the talk was for six months that Charles Blondin was actually going to cross Niagara Falls. And so the day came, June 30th, 1859, a tightrope, a rope made of hemp, two inches in width, 1,300 feet was stretched from the Canadian border to the United States. And it crossed Niagara Falls, this just cauldron of water. And it was just... And it, I mean, it just makes you fearful just to even look at it. But on that particular day, Charles Blondin, with nothing but a balancing pole, with about 25,000 onlookers on both sides of the border, people who were placing bets whether or not he was going to make it, and all of them just completely fixated on what was about to happen. And sure enough, he grabbed that balancing pole, and he started walking across. Think of it, two inches could any of you walk on just two inches, just on this like little line on the ground here? But here he was, and he was walking on that with that rope, on that rope, holding that balancing pole. And he made it to the Canadian side. I mean, people were ecstatic. They were cheering. Great, you know what? He turned around, and he came back to the United States. People were just ecstatic. They were so enthralled by him, he did it again, but this time he carried a camera with him on his back, and then he turned around 
and he took a picture of those who were all watching him and some that were taking a photograph of him. But as if that was not enough, the, the immense popularity that came from this, to see something so death-defying, uh, drew crowds, significant crowds, of wanting to see this Charles Blondin cross the Niagara Falls. And so he began to do this daring stunt on a regular basis. The next time he did it, he, uh, he took a chair with him, and in the center of the rope, he actually balanced the chair and then stood on it, all the while with the Niagara Falls below him. By the way, Charles Blondin never used a safety net because he believed that by using a safety net, uh, it would make an accident more likely to happen. So, you know, he's like, uh, better be prepared. Nah, no, I have a net down there. I'm going to probably wipe out. We're not, we're doing this without a net. Well then, but he didn't stop there. Um, another time, he wore a sack over his head and his body so he couldn't see, and he crossed over the Niagara Falls. On another time, July 15th, 1859, President F- Millard Fillmore, our 13th president, was in attendance. He crossed the uh, Niagara Falls by walking backwards the entire time. And then on, when he got to the Canadian side, he took a wheelbarrow and he wheeled it back. On another time, he somersaulted and actually did a backflip as he was crossing, and that in the middle, he would hang on by one hand. In one of his most significant feats, he did it at night. They took two locomotive lights at both ends of the rope, shined it on there, and he walked across that. Can you imagine? 1,300 feet, uh, and you know, you got a 160 feet drop off to the water, and he crossed it. Another time, he did it with his body in shackles. What's wrong with this guy, right? Who even thinks of things like that? But he did it. Um, Another time, and this was a real close call, he took a chair and a table. He balanced it in the center, and he was going to sit at the table, but the chair somehow slipped, and it went crashing down, and he caught himself. He eventually was able to regain his composure. He ate some cake and had some champagne, and then he picked up the table, and he finished the journey. And perhaps one of his most staggering events that he, they ever did, and I, and I read about this from several places, and this is hard to imagine, but he did this, and it's recorded. He took a, he carried a stove and utensils, and he carried it uh, while well, he made his way. At the midpoint, he set up the so- stove, set a fire, and actually cooked an omelet. And you're like, What? What are you thinking? He cooked this omelet, and as something that was planned and staged, they had a boat called the Maid of the Mist that, you know, kind of tours around the Niagara Falls. It was underneath him, and he lowered down the omelet to the passengers below. Can you imagine? How crazy is that? But then in the most significant feat, absolutely death-defying, in the late summer of 1859, Charles Blondin carried across his manager on his back, walking on this tightrope. His manager, Harry Colcord. Now, I'll tell you what. It's one thing to promote your talent, right? Oh, this is a great guy, you know, and buy all these tickets or whatever. It's another to get on his back, right, and walk across the tightrope. But Harry Colcord did it. And when, when Blondin had Colcord on his back, just as before they got started, This is what Blondin told Harry. 
Look up, Harry. You are no longer Colcord. You are Blondin. Be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we will both go to our death. And with those instructions, and here's a picture, and this is a rather staggering, fascinating picture of him crossing the Niagara Falls with his manager, Colcord, on his back. In fact, he did it a number of times that summer. All in all, Charles Blondin crossed the Niagara Falls on that two-inch-wide, 1,300-foot piece of rope about 300 times. He retired in 1896. And the reason I tell you this is because that picture, that has to be us going through the small gate and on the narrow way, trusting in Christ and Christ alone. When Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come to be admired and just to awe people and do some miracles. Like He wasn't here to be a sideshow or a little circus talent. Jesus came to save the lost. He didn't come to be admired. He came to be followed. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said later in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, whoever wants to be my disciple, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and what? Does anybody know? Follow me. Follow me. And so are you a fan? Are you familiar with Jesus? Or are you fully devoted to him? Jesus implores us, enter through the narrow gate. You see, where we are headed in life, why it's determined by how we're responding to Christ. So I'd like to give you just a couple minutes for you to talk with God. This by far is the most significant reason why you are here. For you to once again really consider How are you really responding to Jesus? So with everybody's heads bowed, your eyes closed, I want you to really talk with God. That's why he has brought you here this morning. Are you traveling on the broad way that leads to destruction? Ask God, are you? He'll make it real clear. Or are you trusting in Christ and on the narrow way that leads to life. So talk to him about that.